are days when you are just not feeling it. Days where you feel like you've lost your mojo. If you're looking to get it back, then you've tuned to the right station. Welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. I got my mojo working, but it just won't work on you. Hey everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. If you're a newbie, welcome folks. Nice to have you along. Thanks for hit the download button. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back. We appreciate you hanging in there with us. If you have been listening to the show for a long time and you're enjoying it and it feels right, do us a favor, send it to a friend. Because not only does it give us our mojo, but it also helps somebody else get their mojo working. And that's what the show is all about, folks. It's about getting your mojo working in and out of work. There are two people who drive the show. Me, moi, and my mate over here on the other side of the panel. Robbo, how's it going, buddy? It's going very well. Thank you. And you? Mate, I'm heavily dosed up on caffeine today, I must say. <laughs> it's been a bit like that the last week, hasn't it? Oh, it's just, it it's, it's only happens every four years. I have been mm-hmm. going very hard on the Olympics, yep. pretty much trying to watch a little bit of everything from yep. table tennis to rowing to the swimming and a horse equestrian. I mean, I'm, I'm across the whole lot. It's just, and I, you know what I also love about it? Mm is that our family has been immersing themselves in it because I was with some 10-year-olds on the weekend Mm. and one of the 10-year-olds said to her mum, I'm going to the Olympics in 2024. Great. mum went, really? She said, yes, I'll be 18. Yeah. And I'm going to go in the modern pentathlon. (laughs) And she said... Where do you reckon I can work out a bit of sword work? <laughs> yeah, indeed. What do you reckon? <laughs> and it just it just occurred to me, Robbo, how nice it is. And we hear these stories about how much money is invested in the Olympics, and I kind of mm. get that. But the other mm. flip side is imagine how many children can watch all these different sports and can sit at home in their lounge room and go, I want to have a crack at that, and they could become the next Matt Formston, Drew Ginn, Dan Collins, the next Ray Warren to call a Bruce McAvaney. And I just love the fact that all these different sports, you know, like the rugby sevens, the women's rugby sevens and all these sorts of sports get a hearing and kids can sit there and go, yeah, I wouldn't mind a crack at that. I should want to send a, a shout out to our women's four by 100 metre freestyle relay team who won one of our first gold medals the other week, wasn't it? Yep. Back to back. I mean, that's what an effort. I mean, back to back Olympics, that's a big ask. It was a brilliant swim. Man, Absolutely. If you haven't watched it yet, folks, go back, jump onto YouTube or Channel 7, have a look. It was a great event. I think in four years' time when we do our Olympic special, that'll be one of the ones we're talking about because they, they outswam themselves and, and world record time as well. So big shout out to them. Well done. Yep. Go Australia. Absolutely. So, um, mate, you've been uh, you've been busy. You've got a brand new studio. You've been posting some stuff on the book. Yeah, tell us about the little contest, which is the North Shore surfing term for contest. You've got going on. Well, I just thought that you know, since we were celebrating a new studio for the Mojo Radio Show, that perhaps a little contest would be a good idea. And I was actually cleaning up and came across a whole bunch of CDs that we hadn't given away yet. So I've done up five little CD packs of you know some of the artists that we've had on the show. And I thought, how am I going to do this? So I hit a pack of Tim Tams, which, you know, I only had to go to the cupboard and grab one. <laughs> no, what you meant was you had to take out the other 10 packets That's to just right. one packet to find. So yeah. I went to the case that I've got out the back <laughs> and I've hidden them in the studio So and, and then taken a photo of the studio. So if you jump on our Facebook page, I've pinned it to the top so it will always be at the top of our feed. Have a look, see if you can find the pack of Tim Tams. Stick your um, stick your name on there and tell me where they are and share the post 
And if you're one of the first, I'm going to change it to 10. It was five, but I've got enough CDs for 10. If you're one of the first 10 to um, to get it right, then um, we'll send you out a nice little pack of CDs. And you find us on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show Podcast. And folks, that is pretty much the only advertising or sponsorship you'll hear on the whole program, sadly. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so you're actually doing me a favour. You're doing two things. You're helping me clean up the studio <laughs> and get rid of some of the stuff that's been lying around here collecting dust. And, um, and doing yourself a favour, some, um, some new music to listen to. In fact, if they get here in time, the other thing we could put in there is something that I've been listening to for the past couple of weeks, um, which has only just been released. Our mates, The Dead Daisies, new album, Make Some Noise. Yeah, it's a cracker. Yeah, if, um, if, uh, if their publicists can get us our, their, our copies that we're going to be giving away in the next couple of weeks, I might even throw a copy of that in there as well. In fact, uh, we get a message during the week from Marco Mendoza, the bass player for The Dead Daisies, a really good mate of the show. We've done a lot of stuff with Marco, and terrific, terrific guy. He, uh, he rang to, uh, to say day and uh, get in early before October to say day. so we'll get Marco oh, nice. back on the show shortly. There you go. What a great guy. Great guy. All right. Absolutely. Enough of that. Let's get into the show. The Mojo Radio Show. Now, Robbo, we have been talking to some guests about the microbiome in our gut. We've talked to Smithy, mm. to our resident doctor, Michael Smith, about the gut and gut health. And I have heard quite a few bits and pieces that I've read in blogs, medical journals, and I've heard a couple of podcasts where people talk about the microbiome on our skin and are we cleaning ourselves to within an inch of our lives and actually making ourselves unhealthy by putting on what we think is healthy in moisturisers and bath washes and soaps and deodorants and so on. Mm. And then the questions raised, well, actually could be doing ourselves damage. And I heard an interview with Yasmina Agnivik, who's the president of Mother Dirt, this is a fascinating startup and a fascinating product. And I sent a note out to Yasmita saying, look, we've been wanting to have this discussion for some time because certainly your skin being your biggest organ has got a lot to do with getting your mojo working. So thankfully, Yasmina is here. Yasmina, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Thanks for having me. Well, it is our pleasure. And just, just to put everybody in the loop, can you just quickly tell us about the sort of work you do on a day-to-day basis and who you'd likely to be doing that? with or for? <laughs> There's so many ways I can answer this question. Uh, we're a young company, so it, it tends to change uh, pretty often. But um, uh, in, in essence, uh, we are a skin microbiome company, uh, which means that we focus on the ecosystem of microorganisms that live on the surface of our skin. Um, and we have two sides to our company. One, uh, which is a, a clinical division that focuses on therapeutic research for skin diseases, things like acne and eczema, um, you know, where we believe that an imbalance in, in bacteria um, is, is caused to many of those, many of those issues, and we're looking at ways to solve them. And then uh, the, the consumer side, which is Mother Dirt, uh, where we actually sell products that are meant to restore good bacteria that we've lost to the skin uh, and help maintain it. Uh, so a lot going on, hence the, the answer at the beginning about uh, a lot of things happening depending on the day. <laughs> yeah, you're busy. <laughs> it sounds it sounds fascinating. Um, let's, let's start at the mother dirt side and then we'll segue across, I think, into all aspects of the business. But on the mother dirt part of the business and the products for consumers you're creating, what's the actual science sitting behind dirt 
that would cause a business to say there's something missing and we can solve a problem here? Yeah, uh, and the story I'm about to tell um, is is not as uh, as um, scientifically in origin as you would think, but certainly ends up there pretty rapidly. It's it's a funny it's a funny story. Um, our founding scientist was actually on a date, uh, and uh, he was on a date with an equestrian. And um, our founding scientist, his name is David Whitlock, um, brilliant, brilliant person, um, and knows that he uh, is brilliant. Um, so, of course, when he's challenged with something that he doesn't know, he immediately has to find out the answer. And on this date, he was asked the question of why horses roll in the dirt. This woman's horses, she observed that they would roll in the dirt every March. And uh, his initial answer was very much grounded in, you know, insects. Of course, it has to be because of insects. Uh, They're trying to get the insects off. But she pointed out very quickly that insects uh, actually are not present in March, uh, that they appear later on. uh, So it wasn't insects. So this, of course, stumped him. And uh, this started his journey into figuring out uh, into figuring out what it was. He, he very quickly realized that horses aren't the only mammals that have a habit of rolling in the dirt, that in fact, all animals do this. Um, if you have a dog, you've seen your dog roll in the dirt, a cat, birds, chickens, elephants, hippos, every animal um, has an innate need to roll in the dirt. And he, he figured if, if evolutionarily they've uh, held on to this, then it must be pretty important. So this is when he started his research into uh, the dirt and really understanding what the link could be between um, their skin and and the soil. Uh, and there was one link that started to emerge, and it was the the type of bacteria that we work with today, uh, which uh, you know once existed on human skin and exists on 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 mammal skin. Um, but has been, you know, largely affected and uh, in most cases removed by by modern hygiene. Um, so that was the the origin story um, that started off in a very romantic way. <laughs> that is such a great story because I um, I live on a property and I see my horse when I take Jake for a ride. The first thing he does is get the saddle and cloth off. And the first thing he does is go to the dirt, and he's yeah. created yeah. well. The horses have created this big area uh, in their day yard, which is just for rolling. And I've got alpacas, they roll. You're right, my chickens roll, my dog rolls. I'm going to start rolling, Robbo. I want to roll. (laughs) I'm on a roll. That that is how I roll, baby. I want to start rolling. I'm just imagining my my neighbours looking over the fence in the veggie patch and there's me rolling around in the dirt. (laughs) Well, you know, it's it's funny that you bring up uh, human beings. Obviously, you know, we we don't roll in the dirt. But if, if you think about how we once used to used to live. I mean, we were walking barefoot. We were way more exposed in, in, in nature than, than we are in, in modern living today. Uh, we were swimming in lakes and rivers and streams. So we were naturally much more exposed to the environment than, than we are today. Um, and that obviously has changed. That's changed a lot in the last several decades. Yeah. So what's that doing to us, Jasmine? That, that's such an interesting point that I want to sort of get on to the mother dirt part with the, the problem you guys are solving. But you're quite right. Evolutionarily, uh, great word, we go back through the times. We always had that, but now we seem fixated on cleanliness and sterility and all this sort of stuff if that word exists. What What's that actually doing to our skin or what's it doing to our general health and well-being? Yeah, our, our chief medical officer, uh, Larry Weiss, says it uh, really nicely. He says that basically we've created environments and a way of living that um, we haven't naturally evolved to live in. 
And so we're mm-hmm. living in these environments that our bodies are not accustomed to. And if, if I, if I zoom that into the skin, essentially what's been happening is we've been uh, unknowingly running a chemistry experiment um, on our skin with chemicals that we don't know that much about uh, that has been having an effect on this ecosystem that we actually knew nothing about until very recently. Um, and then Larry likes to pose the question of, you know, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> what could possibly go wrong <laughs> by, you know, using Famous chemicals that we know little about and applying it to, you know, microorganisms that we know nothing about? I mean, what could possibly go wrong? So, you know, we were playing in an arena with the best intentions, but not really having the full picture. And what we think has happened is we have uh, wiped out certain microorganisms that potentially served a really important purpose and created uh, a persistent state of, of imbalance within this ecosystem on the skin. And once there's a state of imbalance, then the likelihood of a, a problem occurring whether it's you know minor or even more serious is 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 much more likely. I've got to say I'm already liking Larry because um, the whole premise of our show is pretty much based on what could possibly go wrong. Mm. So <laughs> I think Robbo and I are completely are completely aligned with Mother Dirt and Larry's uh, philosophies. Um, oh, Larry's great. You, you'd love him. <laughs> question for you, Jasmina, with. With the bacteria that we are potentially wiping out over the last number of decades and or century, what what does that bacteria do for us? Like, why do we need it? What's Why is it beneficial for our skin and our health? Great question. Um, <clears throat> the bacteria that we work with, and, and yes, it's, it's one type of bacteria, uh, it does two very important things. Uh, the first one is uh, quite quite literally what it what it eats. Um, it eats the ammonia in your in your sweat. So uh, sweating is a way of our body de- de- detoxing, um, and one of the components of our sweat is ammonia. And ammonia is actually very irritating to the skin. It has a high pH, and a lot of disease states are associated with a high pH. Um, another example is diaper rash. Um, diaper rash is caused by, you know, persistent high pH and in that area as the baby's bum gets very sweaty. Um, so just by the sheer fact that this bacteria is consuming it and removing it uh, brings the pH back down to a healthier level. So that on its own is a great thing. But then mm. the second thing that the bacteria does is it produces two byproducts that are incredibly useful uh, for the skin and for the, the skin's ecosystem. Um, one molecule works like a, like a calming and a soothing agent, and then the other molecule actually uh, has an impact on other microorganisms. And what I mean by that is that bacteria that you know, is typically problematic, like odor-causing bacteria, we see levels of that decrease as a result of some of these byproducts that this bacteria is producing after it consumes the ammonia in your sweat. So what ends up happening is a pretty dramatic shift in your skin's overall ecosystem. We see um, not only an increase in our bacteria, but we see the promotion of more benign bacteria, uh, good mm. bacteria, and the decreasing of typically more uh, problematic or frustrating uh, microorganisms. Just, just based on that, you just use the word problematic bacteria. What's, what's the difference for a person in their home, a person in their yard, a person out playing sport. What, what's the difference between a problematic bacteria and a good bacteria? And how would I go about finding, 
improving, increasing good bacteria to help my overall wellness or health? That's a really great question. Um, and, and to start it off plainly, it, this world is not black and white. Um, mm. And there's this huge tendency, I think, for us as, as human beings, as we're kind of understanding a new field, to really categorize things as good and as bad. And even when I say typically, I, I don't say bad bacteria, you'll notice, and it's because uh, we're learning that not all things are necessarily bad. I say typically problematic bacteria because they have the tendency, if given the opportunity, to be problematic. So to take that back a few steps, really what we're learning is that the presence of a specific type of bacteria, um, uh, let's say P. acne, which has been now for a while associated with acne. Um, it was believed if you have this bacteria on your skin that you will get acne. We're learning that it's not the presence of that bacteria, but rather the entire ecosystem around it. Um, it's an imbalance. Um, once you have an imbalance, the presence of that P. acne allows it to grow and actually start to cause a problem. Um, so to, to kind of summarize, I, I mean, it, it's not so much about having a bad bacteria or staying away from bacteria. It's about making sure that you are cultivating an ecosystem that has a balance so that everyone is kind of a contributing member of society versus um, a, a disrupted ecosystem where there is an imbalance and something that could potentially be problematic all of a sudden takes on that opportunity and starts to, to create to create issues. Um, so yeah, it's 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 very gray. It's not as as clean as as people think. <laughs> so can I just dive into that just a tiny bit because I have a teenager who became a teenager on last Friday actually? Um, who's oh, having yeah? So he's having, <laughs> but he's having the acne battle at the moment, right? So the acne bacteria that you mentioned. Is his body producing that or is he picking that up from the atmosphere? I, I, I'm just trying to get into perspective how this all works. Yeah, great question. Um, uh, some of the bacteria um, uh, that colonize our skin, uh, we, we get at birth typically. So how we're born actually influences this a lot. And there's some really interesting research done by uh, Maria Dominguez-Bello and her group at NYU um, but, uh, you know, whether you're born by C-section or via natural birth, that kind of is like the first seeding of your skin microbiome and also your gut microbiome very likely. Um, and then throughout the first couple years of your life, you are gathering, um, your skin microbiome from your environment. So this is why playing outdoors is really important, especially when you're young. This is why exposing your, your, your body as much to the environment as possible is, is really important. So that's kind of how we gather our microbiome with time. And this is why it also becomes, becomes very unique. Uh, P acne is actually a natural commensal on, on human skin. And, uh, the discovery of P acne was first believed to be very revolutionary. But then when we started to realize that most people have P acne and yet some exhibit actual cystic acne and others don't, then we became confused. Okay, what does this mean? And now we're starting to learn that, oh, maybe we have to look at the rest of the ecosystem. What are the other microorganisms doing that are either enabling that to become a problem or preventing it from becoming a problem? And that's where we're starting to look at potential solutions or different approaches. And, and the, the sad thing is, is for, for most people dealing with acne or other skin issues for that matter, unfortunately, typical treatments have been antibacterial or antibiotics, which mm. just typically further destabilize the system, which is why it's not always a cure-all for, for everyone and why we seem to 
be entering this cycle of, um, you know, more and more solutions, but also more and more problems. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just a, just a very different look at, at, you know, causes and how we can address them. Is, is too clean becoming detrimental to our health, Jasmine? Like are we, I, I know with schools and what you read in the media, I know in, in a lot of countries of the world, we've become like a nanny state where we're just just over-cleaning and over-sterilising everything. And I'm sure there's a yeah. place certainly for that with hospitals and so on. But is is too clean becoming detrimental for our general health? Um, I want to say yes. Um, and the reason I'm not going to say yes is because I am a scientist and I know that there is still more work to be done yeah. before we can conclusively point to certain things. Uh, you know, what's very important for scientists is always to understand what the mechanism is. And right now we believe that there is a loose mechanism that looks something like, you know, young child, over-sterile environment, over-sterile products. And then somewhere on the other end, we see asthma and we see allergies and we see uh, all sorts of skin issues. And, and these timelines are starting to get more and more condensed. Uh, more and more children have eczema now. Um, it's uh, actually growing uh, really quickly right now. About, I think, one in six children in the United States has eczema. Um, and things like uh, asthma track perfectly with it. Um, so about 80% of the children that have asthma also have eczema, is I believe the statistic. So everything is pointing in that direction, but we're not able to pinpoint exactly where it's coming from. And yeah. where the answer might lie is really just changing our view of the human body. We've we viewed things to be very separate, the digestive system separate from the skin, separate from the circulatory system. And and in reality, it's all it's all linked. Um, so these are all interdependent ecosystems that are constantly at play with one another, and and are impacted by the the decisions that we're making for food and products and lifestyle and and things along those lines. I've I've heard you speak on sweat, and mm. the conversation I heard you say was that sweat essentially is water and ammonia, and yep. I guess the query I've got is that why. Why are some people tend to sweat and there is a more of an odor mm-hmm. than others don't? And with what we're talking about here, do we still shower in the same way? Do we use deodorant in the same way? Do some people need different products to others? I mean, I don't just with, with that whole thing of sweat, it just seems that some people seem to have a different texture or smell to what comes out of their sweat, in which case they would desire or want to have to use more and more deodorants and so on, but then others don't. How does that work in terms of the skin? Yeah, really good question. Um, And actually we can dispel, I I think, a a bit of um, a myth here. You know, a lot of people think that our sweat smells, um, but actually our sweat is completely odorless. Our sweat is over 95% water. Um, and then the remaining part are, are, are the solids and, and urea and, and things along those lines. Um, what causes odor is actually the bacteria in that area interacting with that remaining 5%, mostly the ammonia and some of the other solids that are there. And it's that chemical reaction that creates odor. So sweat on its own is not smelly, but the interaction of certain bacteria uh, with sweat is what causes the smell. So as the personal care product industry started to, to kind of understand this, um, they approached it one of two ways. 
Um, it was either sweat less so that you can't feed the bacteria, and this is where antiperspirants came from, or kill bacteria, which is what most of the active ingredients in deodorants do. They're meant to kill the odor-causing the odor-causing bacteria. Um, and this is why uh, triclosan, for example, was was used very commonly in deodorants, and obviously now is being phased out due to health concerns. Um, but you know what we would like to propose, and we're finding that about sixty percent of our users are able to do this, is that what if we rebalance the ecosystem there so that it regulates odor on its own? What if by reintroducing certain types of bacteria, we can effectively crowd out those types of bacteria that produce that odor? And so sixty percent of our users that use the the AO plus mist are actually able to go off of deodorant completely. And for them, it's like a life-changing experience because we've, we've been so programmed to need deodorant from the time that we hit puberty. Um, and then the remaining 40%, you know, we're still working to understand and see, you know, what is happening in the ecosystem of, of their underarm that is preventing them from, you know, fully moving off of deodorant. Um, you know, thankfully, several of them are actually able to use deodorant at least less. So it's still an improvement for them. Um, but clearly, there's still a little bit more research and understanding left to be done there. So, so that's the, the, the body odor side. Um, and how that relates to showering, I think is, is very different. You know, we, for how we actually live our lives, we shower too much and too long. Um, I, I mean, to use children as an example, we have infants that go from crib to kitchen, to car, to school, back to the car, back to home and to bed. And yet every night parents are lathering their kids up as if they had gotten so dirty when in reality, <laughs> they really didn't get that dirty. I mean, you know, water on its own is, is likely going to take care of, of most of what you need, you know, maybe diluting a little bit of soap. If the, if the kid is really grimy and got like food spilled all over them, then obviously, but this idea that we need to scrub our kids clean every single night when in reality, we don't actually interact with the environment or that much dirt or filth is um, is pretty is pretty unnecessary. I think um, I think Gary missed an important point with that question. If we could just go back, I, I actually <laughs> wonder if you could tell me why it is that the people with the bad body odor always stand next to me on the train. <laughs> You're a magnet. I, I can't. I can't. <laughs> I can't answer that question. But I don't know if you guys have um, have heard of Doctor Armpit. Um, he is, uh, I've heard of Dr. No, this Blood. is a real thing. He's, he's great. Hey, body odor is a serious thing. I mean, it is, it is not fun to, to deal with very sexy topic as you can tell, yeah, but absolutely. there is a, a gentleman by the name of Chris Callawart, uh, based out of Belgium. Um, and he did his PhD in body odor because wow. he thought that it was ridiculous that we still haven't figured out how to completely solve body odor and all of his research is, is done on the microbiome. And he did some fascinating research that showed that, you know, using certain types of deodorants could actually make you smell worse because you're just destabilizing that ecosystem so much that you're just creating all of these opportunities for the real odor causing bacteria to grow. And so you end up becoming truly dependent on that product because without it, um, you know, the, the, the bacteria replicate and then it really just amplifies the odor, but check out his work. Um, his, his name is Dr. Armpit. He's done some really fascinating research. Um, and, uh, and, and, and since you're already enjoying this topic, I have no doubt that you'll uh, find his stuff interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Gary, you better get his number, mate. <laughs> yeah, I'm all over it. It's in the journals, ready to go. Um, how do we reconnect our skin to the right bacteria, Jasmine? I mean, I know you guys have got a spray 
which sounds fantastic, which, which I understand is actually a live bacterial spray. Yes. So that certainly would be one option. I'm curious to know how you create a spray that can reconnect. And then the other part is from kids right through. If you were to give the guys listening to this show right now a piece of advice as to how, how do they reconnect to the right bacteria what's that thing? What's that one thing they could do immediately? Yeah. So I, um, yeah, I'll start with the second one, um, with advice. I think that there's some, some really basic pieces of advice. I think, uh, first using antibacterial products, whether it's, um, it's soaps or, uh, 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 like gel hand sanitizers is, is, is actually quite unnecessary unless you work in a hospital or unless you work in an environment where like, clearly that is something that you need. Um, plain soap and water is, is really going to be just fine for you. And there's plenty of research to back that up. Um, so I think, you know, cutting out those products is, is one of them. Um, secondly, it's, uh, <laughs> It's evaluating how much you find you need to lather up. So, uh, you know, we, we create these habits and these routines. You know, we get into the shower every single day, and there's some people that lather up head to toe every single day. And the reality of it is that, you know, maybe that spot all the way back there on your back, like, doesn't actually get that dirty, or your forearm doesn't get that dirty, or you know, the, 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 that spot above your knee on your thigh doesn't actually need to be scrubbed that hard. So I think reevaluating where you lather up and whether or not it's completely necessary, because once again, plain water is going to do just fine. Um, and you'll find that you feel just as clean. So just lather up on, on, on key areas. Um, so for some people, you know, it's really making sure that they wash their face, um, uh, easy ones are, you know, the underarm area, um, the dark areas, uh, between our legs, as they say. So really making sure that those are key areas that, that you cover, but you probably don't need to lather up head to toe every single day. Um, so that would be my second piece of advice. And then, you know, the, the last piece of advice is, is really asking, asking yourself, you know, we've, we've, if, if we take into consideration the fact that we've been having many discussions about how do we make healthier and better products for ourselves, and there's been this whole movement in that direction, but not, but really asking yourself, why are we using these products in the first place? So kind of going through your routine and, and, and your products and really wondering, do I need that? Am I going to be fine? Can I use a little bit less? Um, this whole idea of less is more is, um, is, 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 is an interesting one to introduce to people because you, you actually realize how dependent you are on some of these things when I, I, the number of people that actually don't need to wear deodorant, but are programmed to, because that's what society has told us to do is pretty, it's pretty incredible. And, and, you know, we have users that find the same thing through, you know, other parts of other parts of their routine. So it's, it's a little bit of a philosophical question, but you know, when you pick up a product to use it and many people are not actually aware of the sheer volume of things that they use, both men and women, um, ask yourself, why do I need it? What, what would happen if I, if I stopped using it or I used a little bit less? And tell me about the, the mist that you guys have created. And I'm curious to, to know, it's got live, it's a live bacterial spray. Is that made like a cultured thing? Like some would culture for a probiotic or a prebiotic or a, how, how, how is that sort of miscreated? <laughs> no, not, don't, don't give it away. This is how we do it. But just in, in a rudimentary sense, Robbo and I would understand. Really yeah, dumb yeah, it down. Yeah, yeah. Really, <laughs> really dumb it down. <laughs> we, uh, we, we grow it in a, in a bioreactor. 
Um, so it's like this spherical tank looking thing that on at any given moment has pipes flowing in and pipes flowing out or rather tubes flowing in and tubes flowing out. Tubes flowing in are, are typically the food for the bacteria. Um, the tubes flowing out could be um, stuff that we're siphoning off or could be waste that we're removing. Um, we also have, um, you know, probes that are just measuring to make sure that the bacteria is growing okay and that the temperature is okay and that the pH is okay. So basically it's, it's all grown in like a large metal chamber. Um, and then, uh, and then we, we, we empty that out. We, we separate it out to just get the bacteria and then we basically end up suspending it, um, into what is the mist. Um, and we have to do that all under extreme clean circumstances, uh, so we have a clean room where we do all of our filling and it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a funny anomaly because most cosmetic products, you know, they're, they're all formulated to make sure that bacteria can't grow in it. And yet we need to use a super sterile environment to fill a monoseptic product because we actually just want to make sure that the only thing that's in there is our bacteria. So it was a bit of a twisted process, but yeah. we figured it out, thankfully. <laughs> so I'm curious to be people who are listening right now. Jasmina, who will go straight to their kitchen or their bathroom and they're going to pick up their product. We've talked about there are certain areas of the body that would be good to lather, others where water would suffice in most cases. If somebody was to go to their bathroom or kitchen and find something they're currently putting on their skin, is there one particular thing they would look for on the label which is causing more harm, let's not say damage, but more harm than good, that would be a red flag for them to look for? Like, is there a particular product that is something people should be uh, concerned about or look for? Yes. I think we, when we look at things through the lens of, you know, what is going to affect the the skin microbiome, there are a few things that, that come to mind really quickly. Um, obviously topical antibiotics are, are not good. Um, but things like triclosan, so triclosan is commonly used as, as an antibacterial in, in lots of deodorants. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Australia does not use triclosan, um, because I know Australia typically is, is, uh, stricter, uh, with what they allow in, but that has been mm. a very big issue within the United States. Um, and, and actually in, in the work that we're doing right now for, for body odor has, has posed to be quite a problem because, uh, many deodorants contain uh, triclosan and the triclosan actually kind of, uh, <laughs> it permeates the layers of your skin. So it has a long lasting effect, which has pre prevented our bacteria from colonizing, um, in, in these individuals, or we hypothesized to be the case until the, the skin completely regrows and regenerates, which it, you know, typically is about three to four, three to four weeks. So that something like that, um, definitely, uh, definitely avoid, um, other ones are, are SLS and SDS. So this is, these are two very strong surfactants. Um, the full names are sodium lauryl sulfate or sodium laureth sulfate um, and sodium dodecyl sulfate. These are very strong, uh, typically cheap surfactants, um, but they're, they're so strong that they just, you know, rip the membranes of, um, you know, our bacteria apart, which we like to use mm. as a, as a model for, you know, gentleness to the skin microbiome, but also it's very harsh on, on the skin. Um, so those are two easy ones to, to, to kind of look for. And, you know, uh, on that same token, I, I want to throw out helpful things that people may, may or may not already be doing. I, you know, all the interest in coconut oil as an example is really wonderful. I mean, raw, pure, organic coconut oil is great for the skin and we found it to be biome friendly. 
Um, so if it's something that you already use as a moisturizer, you know, keep on doing it. Um, you know, unpreserved, um, once again, uh, uh, completely un- unpreserved or, or raw oils like jojoba are, are really great. Um, avocado oil, uh, really great. Um, so, you know, things, things along those lines that maybe perhaps are, are not that surprising, um, but still uh, good directions to be heading in. You've just, uh, you've just made Robbo's day. For us, Jasmine, we have a we have a chocolate bar here in Australia called a Bounty Bar. I don't know if you have them over back home your way, but uh, it's basically like a dark chocolate full of coconut. And I mm. quite often see Robbo ah. in the corner of the studio mm. with uh, with a, with a, a box bounty. of those out, and he's uh, he's rubbing those on his face. So, um, <laughs> um, it, you just mentioned products permeating the skin. Is there a relationship between what goes on our skin in terms of skin microbiome and the gut? Like, did, is, is it possible that those two things are related in some way? Right now, we have not found a distinct link, but I would not be surprised if we if we find one in the future. Um, you know, what we're learning about the microbiome is that it seems to work very much so as a complement to our immune system both in being a first responder and also in helping the the eyes and ears. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if at some point there is. I mean, you know, people eat something and they break out in hives. So I think that that's a great example of <laughs> they're connected in some yeah. sort of a fashion. But, um, you know, the, the mechanism is, is not understood and it's a little bit more complicated. So perhaps, perhaps down the line. So it sounds like but there would be a relationship between food the gut and the skin microbiome, because that's quite interesting that you do, and I know people who eat a certain food and mm-hmm. they will have a reaction on their skin, whether it be, you know, puffiness or swelling or a pain or whatever. So is there a reaction, is there a relationship between food and the skin microbiome? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, we haven't done any studies on it, nor do I think anyone, anyone else has. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to, how to answer that. Um, I think we just don't have enough information right now. But once again, I wouldn't be surprised if we do find out uh, in, in the future. It must be interesting for you because you, you're basically selling live bacteria. And <laughs> it, it must be very, it must be fun in a way, challenging uh, in another way, terribly frustrating and to the point of, you know, banging your head against a wall when people would hear this interview, hear you talk about what you guys are doing. You've got such a solid purpose, such a solid vision of where you think this can go to and why you're doing it. As a business, creating a brand new category up against, let's say, five decades, six decades of history of no, you must. And now we're saying, well, actually, science is giving us a different perspective on this it must be quite challenging in a way to sell this as a new category to us consumers. You know, you totally summarize it. We go through that range and range of motions, uh, emotions uh, on a fairly regular basis. But, you know, actually, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the consumers. Um, and that's the that's the hard fact. I mean, uh, Mother Dirt was not part of the original plan. We started off as a biotech that was looking at the application of this bacteria on wound healing. I mean, we were just so far away from where we are now. And then as we started to understand how the bacteria played on the skin and how the products that we were using were impacting um, the people in our research studies, that was when this different picture started to come together. 
And we had a New York Times article that was that was written about one of the studies that we did uh, where we had about 30 people abandon all of their personal care products, uh, take water only showers and spray themselves with our bacteria twice a day. And, uh, you know, one of the participants wrote about her experience and it ended up being published in the New York Times magazine. And that was the major shift for our company. Um, I mean, it was a fascinating article, incredibly well written. Um, it's called the, she had a great title for it. It was my, my no soap, no shampoo, bacteria rich hygiene experiment. It was, it was a great title. Um, and it was, it was the most circulated article, um, for a full month. And at the end of a month, it was the top, uh, it was the number five most circulated article. And we ended up, uh, uh, getting a huge influx of traffic and emails with people asking how they could help our research and how they could purchase the product. So this idea of actually selling the product to actually gather data and point our, our, our research in a different direction is, is where this notion of just bottling it came from. And, um, we sold out immediately and very quickly we had a nine month backlog and all of a sudden we realized, oh my goodness, there's interest out there. And, and I think that the interest is largely motivated by the fact that a lot of people are struggling and they feel like they're making the right decisions and they feel like they're following conventional wisdom and that they're doing the right things. And yet, um, they're struggling, their children are struggling. Um, and so there's this general observation happening right now and people are looking for something different. And I think that we struck some sort of an unarticulated need is, is what we say here. And that pushed us. Um, but <laughs> don't get me wrong. There was extreme resistance to doing what we're doing right now because it is hard. And we spent a lot of time talking about whether we could do it. Would it be worth doing? Could we pull it off? And at the end of the day, there was just such support from people. And, and, and we felt like they were really driving us to do it that we thought, you know, even if we don't have it all figured out, if at least we're honest about it the entire way through, we they'll have our back and that's all that matters. And that's continued to be true. People are very supportive of the work that we're doing. And we know that we don't know all the answers and they're very understanding of that and they're helping us understand. And that's the other remarkable thing about our products. I mean, the engagement that we have across our entire user base is, is phenomenal. And uh, I mean, three to six times industry average across all categories. And it's because people do view this as a major step in public health and they want to help us get there. And, um, yes, while it is challenging for some demographics, I think for our user base right now, it's, it's because of them that, that we exist. On the show over the last nearly 100 episodes that we've done, we've really started to uncover different ways that people are thinking about approaching their diet, their health. Now we're talking about hygiene and all of them seem to point back to a more, in inverted commas, traditional way of doing it, you know, more whole foods, um, and we're talking about good bacteria for our skin now. We're talking about more organic ways of exercising. Do you see in the States that there's a swing back towards that, that way of thinking overall? Or do you think that, that maybe people are just starting to pick up on this? Uh, no, there's definitely a swing in, in that direction. I, I wouldn't say that it's majority of, of the people in the United States, but it's, it's definitely heading in that direction. And, you know, I, I think it's because we as human beings maybe needed to be humbled in the, in the process. You know, mm. we, we know that we can figure a lot of things out. We believe that technology is the answer. And, and, you know, we've believed that we can 
hack mother nature and outdo her. But, you know, at the same time, we're, we're also realizing that she has 10,000 years of evolution ahead of us and that there is a reason that that system works. And I, I think the challenge for us is figuring out how we can apply, um, how we can build on that, right? So how we can apply the things that mother nature has already laid out to us, but within a modern context, um, but within these modern, uh, environments that we've created for ourselves. Um, so I, I think that that's the, I think that that's really the, the, the challenge for us, but definitely it's going in that direction and for better or for worse, it's driven by people having issues and questioning things, um, and, and wondering how it can be different. Just, just to finish this up, Jasmine, I found a story just based on what you were just saying. Uh, there was a story in the, Australia's got a, a quite a prominent newspaper called the Sydney Morning Herald wrote a story recently. It was about, um, an international consortium of scientists and volunteers um, led by researchers um, in your home country in America. And they are looking to develop a snapshot of the bacteria found on capital cities, public transport around the world. Mm-hmm. And here in Australia, uh, Monash University, a, a prominent university here, um, they are leading the Australian consortium. And they've gone to, like in Melbourne, they've gone to our biggest public transport hubs, uh, South Yarra, Flinders Street, Melbourne Central and so on. And they got what they call like a selfie, a microbiome selfie. And they go in and they take these selfies on the public transport. What I found quite interesting was they said that of all the stuff they're finding, there's a lot of traditional stuff they're finding on all the bits and pieces that you hang on to or touch on public transport. But they found that 48% of the microbiome they're collecting is an organism that up till now has not been identified. And the story just illustrated how sort of vast and unknown this area is. My point to you is it must be quite exciting for you guys to be researchers and scientists and then be able to put into a consumer product with the fact that there must be so much discovery going on all the time. That must be quite exciting for you as a chosen profession to be able to straddle science and consumer products. Yet at the same time, there's, you've said it a couple of times, just so much we yeah. don't know yet. Yeah, it, it's right. I mean, uh, it's not surprising to me that they're finding uh, a microorganism that they didn't know existed or they didn't understand anything about. I, I, I don't know if this is the right statistic, but the order of magnitude is somewhere there. But something like 80% of the bacteria uh, out there or that we know of or have named, we actually have no idea what it does. And so when we <sighs> think about when we think about how we've been treating bacteria, I mean, we've, we've, we've very much so stereotyped it and we have, um, made a lot of assumptions and, um, we've, I mean, in reality, it's, it's funny for scientists to be saying this, but on the basis of very little data, we've made very big decisions. Um, and so now we're trying to understand what these microorganisms do. Um, and, uh, that's, that's sometimes not, not an easy, that's not an easy task, um, but yeah, very, it, it is very interesting. I mean, there's a lot that's happening. There uh, is a lot that we don't know, um, a lot left to be uncovered. Um, you know, just earlier today, we were having the conversation of like, okay, you know, today we learned a lot of things that didn't work. <laughs> mm, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. it just is, it's, um, that's, that's how it goes at this stage in the game. But, you know, a lot of people for a long time had thought that the next big frontier was space. 
that we had discovered everything we needed to know about planet Earth already and that the next frontier was space. And space is, is fascinating. And don't get me wrong, I certainly hope that we figure out a, a way to explore more of it. But you know, really when the microbiome came about, uh, we started to realize that actually there was a lot left that we didn't understand. And it was right underneath our nose the entire time. That's, uh, that's a great way to finish up this conversation. But uh, it would be remiss of us, Robbo, not to ask Jasmine the, 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 the big question, the real big the question. The really big question. Yeah. Do you think? I think, I've, I think I've, I've sufficiently warmed Jasmine up for the big question. If you would like to fire away, my oh, friend. Oh, no. <laughs> I, um, I love asking this question because it's, uh, it gives us a bit of an insight into, um, into what goes on inside your head. <laughs> I, I, I'd, what I'd like to know, and this is completely bacteria, unrelated to bacteria, so you can relax. Mm-hmm. I'd like to know, you roll out of bed in the morning you've had your breakfast, you've sort of, you know, you've, you've had your water shower and you're ready to go for the day. You jump in the car or you jump on the bus, but your headspace just really isn't there. You know, you're really not firing. I'd like to know what song you reach for on the, on the car radio or on the iPod to get your mojo going to see you through the day. Um, recently, uh, it is a band called Marion Hill that I've really been liking. I don't know if you guys know them. They're not that well known in the United States, but it's, um, it's a band called Marion Hill and they have this one great song that I'm really loving called, uh, I want you. I've been so tired on the weekend. I've been holding on too tight. I never thought I'd be thinking I want you. the whole summer sleeping. You've been staying up that's been my go-to recently, but it, it changes every now and then, I guess. I evolve. <laughs> there you go. That's cool. We've done around 100 episodes of this show, and we've never once had the same song pop up twice, have we, Gaz? There's another awesome. No, never. In fact, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of cool because we get this voyage of discovery, and we even had somebody, Jasmine, and we said, what song to get your mojo pumping? And he said, silence gets my mojo pumping. So I wouldn't have anything on. I would just sit silently. I went, oh, that's a great, great answer. That's so, a great answer. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Jasmine, thank you so much. I, I've really enjoyed hearing you talk about the business, the science, useful, helpful tips and tools for us to be in a, in a better place, in a health and a wellness it's been really a fantastic guest to have on the show. Where can people discover more about Mother Dirt and the work you guys are doing? Uh, they can go to motherdirt.com, uh, but they can also read about our research on aobiome.com. So A-O-B-I-O-M-E. Um, so either one of those is good. Um, yeah. Good. I'll put the links in the show notes for everybody and also suggest that people go to Mother Dirt and just check out the blog and the information that's there and some of the links. There's some fascinating stuff there which will really open your eyes up to this conversation and uh, how we can help be healthier and better and get our mojo work. So, Jasmine, thank you for your time. You've been very, very generous. We've loved having you on the show. Thank you so much. Uh, I had a great time chatting with you. See, it, it, it's 45 minutes that have gone by and it's been so easy. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> First time anyone said that about us, Gaz. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. It was great. I don't know why you guys were self-deprecating in the beginning. It was fantastic. I had a lot of fun. Excellent. We're glad you had fun. <laughs> that's how we roll. That's in the dirt. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going outside now to find some dirt with my horse. I'm going to go get a roll and 
I'm going to outroll him. Gary's wife will look out the window. He'll be rolling around the chicken coop with the chickens. You watch. Yeah, you will never look at a, an animal rolling in the dirt the same way again. No joke. Every time uh, in Boston that I've seen someone walking their dog and the dog starts rolling in the dirt, I, I, I always strike up a conversation with them. And sometimes it's well received and sometimes it's not. But I promise you, you'll never look at an animal rolling in the dirt the same way again. Absolutely. <laughs> You've been an inspiration. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. I realize it is already tomorrow over there, so I hope it's a good tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's never too late to roll. Thank you, Jasmina. All right, bye, guys. Getting your mojo working. This is the Mojo Radio Show. I've got a little side story to that interview, if you've got a second. Sure. I actually went to see my um, my gastro the other week just for my regular Crohn's checkup, and we actually had this discussion about bacteria and all that sort of stuff and how it's affecting our mojo and our health in general, right? And we and I knew all this, but he was we basically went over old ground, and he was talking about how you see all these ads on the television for you know a classroom. Let's not mention the product, but a classroom of kids and the teacher standing there going, "I use this product because it kills ninety nine point nine percent of bacteria yeah, across my yeah. whole classroom." And as as my gastro pointed out, g'day Jonesy, 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 as Jonesy, long time listener, long time listener, that's right. As Jonesy <laughs> pointed out, um, you're also killing good bacteria. So yeah. why would you want to do that? Because yeah. you know we, we're a living organism. We need certain amounts of bacteria to help us survive, and and we're killing all of it. Mm. Um, so, um, so it's just something to think about. I mean, you know, it's, it's out there seeing something that says kills 99.9 cent of bacteria is not necessarily a good thing, folks. Let's be honest. We're going to rethink that whole premise, mate, but that was a good show, I reckon. Now, uh, have you got a little something, something to play us out with? Well, I'm going to play out with something that you've already heard, believe it or not. (laughs) Over the weekend. great piece though. Yeah. Over the weekend, I, I came across this little piece, um, talking about the song Eleanor Rigby. Eleanor Rigby. Mix up the rice in the church where a wedding has been. Lives in a dream. And it's it's really inspired me to, to sort of think outside the square. I had a bit of work to do um, over the weekend, and it's really something that I thought about in the back of my mind while I was doing the work. Um, George Martin, Beatles producer, uh, the Beatles come to him with the song Eleanor Rigby, and it's basically the process that this guy went through to come up with one of the the only rock songs that I know of that the band doesn't actually play on the backing track. It's actually a, a string octet. Well, we should just set this up. This, uh, And we will post this on Facebook so you can see the whole interview, guys, because it is quite interesting. This is a series of interviews with some of the world's great music producers and they are all talking about this magic that George Martin was able to bring together using strings in a very unusual way which made the bass for Eleanor Rigby. And what's, to Robbo's point, what's quite profound about this is that innovation is disruption and disruption is simply looking or hearing or feeling something and having the courage to do it in a different way and and that's that's really what this is about. And to Robbo's point, you know, you'll hear one of the great producers at the end of the, the clip talk about the fact that it wasn't about being a rock and roll star. He wanted to emulate not just George Martin, but really he wanted to emulate the thinking and the courage and the innovation this guy had, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. Tony Visconti, and this, this guy's no lightweight. Um, you know, he's one of the biggest influences on David Bowie. You know, he produced many David Bowie albums, T-Rex, Moody Blues, 
uh, Thin Lizzy for another one. Um, you know, the, the list just goes on. So, yeah, this is, these people that are, you'll hear on here are no lightweights when they're talking about being influenced by this piece of work. But listen to it a few times, folks, because I think that the most telling line for me is at the end of it when Visconti said, I didn't want to be a rock and roll star anymore. I wanted to be like George Martin. And that was to emulate not him but the thinking he went through to create something unique which became a super hit. So uh, on that note, we're out. We are. He came to me with Eleanor Rigby, which cried out for strings. Not the smooth legato stuff of yesterday, but something was very biting, very rhythmic, very edgy. He suggested to me the stuff that Bernard Herrmann had been writing for Psycho, for example. Eleanor Rigby is the first time that the Beatles weren't playing any instruments on one of their records. It is just a string octet. The octet was recorded into four track. On track one here, we have the first violins. And here are the second violins. You can hear bleed because they're all in the same room together. Oh my gosh. I played that over and over and over and over again. It was just, just so smart. George Martin obviously knew this stuff and he knew how to put it on a Beatles record. That's, that's the trick. For the first time you're hearing a string octet and you're tapping your foot. George Martin made strings cool, you know? He used strings in a way that was so innovative, I don't think anyone had thought of before. In that way, the Beatles educated all of us. You know, until then, I thought, I can be a rock star. I want to be a rock star. I want to be on stage. I want to have the girls screaming at me. I want all that stuff. I want a limo, everything. But now I wanted to be George Martin. That was more important, to be in the studio, to do that kind of stuff, to be able to experiment that way, and to make great works of art that only exist on tape. That's very important. You know, it's a very different art from performing live. That's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be George Martin. Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybirtwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.